Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. You're listening to The Silver Stream, a journey through ideas in collaboration with invited guests, using visual artworks, writing and music as navigation points within a stream of consciousness. I'm Byzantia Harlow, a visual artist and the creator and host of The Silver Stream. Episode 8, A Burden of Dreams, is in collaboration with artist James Capper. You can find images to accompany the episode on my Instagram, at Byzantia Harlow, and more information about this series on my website, www.byzantiaharlow.com radio. For those unfamiliar with James's practice, he makes mobile sculpture to be used in action in varied terrains and with a wide range of materials. The works vary in size from handheld power tools in the carving division to larger scale works in the earth marking and material handling divisions. Like a hybrid system of mechanic organisms, they evolve and migrate from one ecosystem to another. James's work has been widely exhibited around the world in museums, not-for-profit institutions and galleries. This includes solo exhibitions at Modern Art Oxford, Yorkshire Sculpture Park, CGP London, Bathurst Art Gallery, New South Wales, Australia, and a presentation with Alma Zevi for the Venice Biennale in 2015. James was the youngest ever artist to be awarded the prestigious Jack Goldhill Prize for Sculpture from the Royal Academy of Arts London. His work is the subject of critical debate and dialogue about positions in sculpture. And he's currently working on a major new project, Mud Skipper, which we discuss in the episode today. James is represented by Hannah Barry Gallery in London. This episode features audio of a walk James and I went on just before England went into lockdown, as well as us chatting via Skype. It's an episode that looks at the blurry boundaries and interconnected nature of artistic collaboration and friendship. It also gives a good insight into the process behind this radio series, which always begins with these sort of loose and throwaway conversations with my friends and contemporaries, which are then elaborated on and contextualised with theory and various other tools. So in this episode, you'll hear a journey from the beginning of brainstorming to a more considered sort of response from us both as we discuss a potential collaboration we could make. This is also an episode that documents a journey through James and I's relationship as artists, friends and ex-lovers. The episode features the usual segment from writer and curator Charlie Mills who responds to the episode themes as well as writer and curator Hector Campbell giving us his monthly art recommendations. So thanks very much for listening and I hope you enjoy. Thank you. Um, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. James has a really bad haircut because he came to help me just before lockdown do some gardening. And in return, I gave him a haircut. He came to rescue my garden after I hacked away all my hedges. So I don't know why he asked me to give him a haircut because um, he could see that I wasn't very good from what I did to the hedges. And now he's got a very bad haircut, so I can hardly take him seriously. But anyway, let's carry on. So I want, I want you to tell the story because in the walk we had before lockdown, you said that the first time we met was during the bar brawl that I apparently started, which I did not start, but that wasn't the first time we met because we know each other through an exhibition that you curated. It's also how I know 
Hector Campbell and Charlie Mills, who are regular contributors to the Silver Stream. And it's how I know Billy Fraser and Tom Rebo, who started Collective Ending, which is where my studio is now. Um, and so it just ties together this whole scene of how we all know each other, because it is interconnected. The way we both feel we met this through Absinthe. Um, Absinthe was a group of exhibitions, the first one in my studio, and then three or four more over at the um, Spit and Sawdust pub on the Old Kent Road. The idea for Absinthe um, came to me and Billy Fraser, along with Tom Rebo, when, when we were having a few drinks at their studio. I was telling them about the, the good old days between 2000s, the early 2000s and now. Billy, Tom and I sort of were really, Billy and I especially, brainstorming how to sort of get to this point, how to sort of create some sort of, because that thing isn't there anymore. You can't get a squat so much. There are like guardianship places and things like that. You can get studios in and have raves in and have like, have cool show exhibitions and mix things up a bit. But there isn't really, there isn't a scene so much, you know, there's like lots of little scenes. I suppose that's one of the kind of enduring things that has come out of the Absinthe project is that then Billy and Tom have set up Collective Ending, which is this collectively run studio and gallery space in Deptford. And I'm one of the studio members. And we do have these kind of like shows. We have a gallery space. We have our studios. The studios are cheap. And we have these like events. Billy uh, always had the intention to uh, to do what he's doing and he's done it and it's a remarkable feat because yeah. you know if we're to talk about ages and look at Billy's age in the scope of this I know they've got so much energy though that whole that I you know I'm so pleased that I was in the first absinthe exhibition and met everyone they have this attitude of just like anything being possible which is really great but yeah so we met because you were one of the curators of absinthe and we we actually did a radio episode on soho radio called absinthe and that you know people can hear that on my website under my radio episodes and that was me you billy and charlie and we were drinking absinthe throughout the two-hour episode and we get steadily drunker it is a great episode so that's how we know each other we met through that show but you had actually heard of me before that show you said to me you no. you said you sat next to someone at a wedding no the wedding was after oh, okay well can you tell that story because I want to tell some of our stories during this episode too because I like because we are talking about these blurry boundaries between friendship and collaboration professional and private if I was listening to some ex-lovers slash best friends slash you know gray area artists discussing their practices together I would really want to know like some of the personal stuff that's the most interesting thing you know this is art history art history is about the friendships bonds collaborations it's not just about like oh my practice you are seen as this very like impenetrable male macho artist and I'm getting the more emotional side of James Kappa and I want an exclusive on Mudskipper <laughs> so yeah let's hear the story of the wedding well, I was in, I was invited I was invited to um, to a very good friend's wedding, Alex Trinick's wedding, and I sat in the marquee in a field on his farm, and um, I was sat next to a character um, who said um, that he was going out with you at the time, yeah. and yeah. Um, and he said, "Oh, you're," he said, "Oh, you're James Cappy. You're doing um, this show that my girlfriend's in." Um, and he was a really lovely guy. His name's Simon, and I, I had a very, I had a very good uh, couple of hours of conversation. Not about you, Byzantia. You were saying he was saying how amazing I was, and you were like, "Whoa, what's wrong with this guy?" Like, and then you met me, and you were like, "Oh, I now understand." Yeah, that's that's true. He was a great admirer. What I find interesting about your recollection of this story, James, is that actually I spoke to Simon like relatively recently when we just first went into lockdown um and I said oh James remembers this story of you at the wedding and you saying how great I was and blah 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 and he was like yeah but that wedding was like years ago that was before you and I 
were together. And I think he was talking about another girlfriend. So this whole romantic ideal you have of me, this like projection because you met this guy and he was like saying how amazing I was. And you were like, who is this woman? And then you met me. That's how you say it to me. That's how you said it to me. Is actually, I think he was talking about like another girlfriend. Oh, well, I mean, the whole thing is a riddle, isn't it? But it doesn't really make sense because then why would he have said you're curating this show? Maybe you've like conflated two stories together. Basically, you never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And that's a good Werner Herzog, Herzog quote because we're going to talk about Werner Herzog. But there's a good Werner Herzog quote about this. Let me try and find it now on the internet. Um, hang on. Werner Herzog. Uh, what would I say? Reality and fiction quote. Um, ah, this is it. We must ask of reality how important is it really, and how important really is the factual. Of course, we can't disregard the factual, it has normative power but it can never give us the kind of illumination, the ecstatic flash from which truth emerges. So, if we were to do a collaboration, James, what would that be? Well, I have to think, I'm thinking about it because the work involves a journey, so it would have to be a journey. A and physical journey. A physical journey, yeah. <laughs> but like a journey, I'm thinking about a journey, a journey to a source of something that interests you, of some sort of research. Is this not of... just enacting some kind of like life aquatic setup of like Steve Zizou and the wife on some? Well, kind I of... mean, it's important that that um, that we as human beings embrace the idea of journeys and evolution. I don't think it's. I think that that's a a really great point and a great film. I hope you're not going to bust our chops, Bill. Why would I do that? Because you're a bond company, Stooge. <sighs> well, I'm also a human being. All right, I take that back. Yeah. Let's have some teamsmanship. Face one's you, dreams on. Right? Have you done a work before where you actually have had a physical journey aspect of it rather than just no. the machines? You've only just no, had... but I can sense it because yeah. the the develop the evolution of things is allowing for far longer demonstration periods. Well, like Mud Skipper is yeah. in a way kind of a journey, a physical journey as well as like a, an intellectual journey, isn't it? A public a public sculpture that that's mobile and evolves as it moves through Maybe a city. Maybe just go into what Mudskipper is. Uh, uh, basically a, a 30 foot boat with a set of hydraulic jacks which allow it to walk out of the river. And uh, it would be based predominantly on the Thames. And um, you did it as a uh, commission for Bath's Yacht, what was it? No, it's like for, for it's, well, it's been a dream to make it for nearly a decade. Yeah. And I managed to get together a number of people. Battersea Power Station got involved, Nine Elms and the GLA. Yeah. And uh, a bluebells are running out. Consortium. We of need to find more people. bluebells. Um, I'm and out it's... of breath because we've walked up that hill. <laughs> I know. You're like, <laughs> you asking me technical <laughs> questions about <laughs> fun. too much pressure. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think I'm going to have a can of cider if you want one. <laughs> yeah, but we need to hand sanitise the shit out of them. Well, it was in a, a vacuum pack. Yeah, I know, and then you touched the plastic. Well, You I say mean, you're an outside. engineer, James. Come on. I'm the outside of the plastic. <laughs> Take this coat, it's too hot. <sighs> Hang on, hang on. Do you on. want to cool down? No, I don't want to cool... Uh, actually, maybe it's good, this coat. Um, hang on, hang on, hang on. We need to sanitise these ciders. Wait, why? Just take the phone for us, the microphone. Why is it called Mudskipper? Well, within the evolution of the vertebrate, there's a transition where the creatures of the sea came onto the land. One of those transitions in those... Um, uh, groups of vertebrates uh, was the fish and it stopped at this sort of strange 
fish, the, the lug fish. It's nicknamed the mud skipper. And uh, they, live in, they live in the backwaters of Kerala. They live in Africa. They, they still exist today. So it's, it's an interesting, it's a bizarre format of evolution. I mean, the fish fills up a set of sacks, balloons underneath its uh, gills with water so that when it's out of the water, it can breathe through water to be on land. So it's kind of like a... So the mud skipper fish is a Kind of complex piece of biology that, that, that ended its line in evolution very early on. But it's a fish that can walk. It's an amphibious fish, yeah. And mud skipper is an amphibious sculpture. Is Your an am- mud skipper. An amphibious boat in the. It's a sculpture. In the time of the. Is it a sculpture or is it a boat? It's a sculpture. It's um, it's a mobile public sculpture, so it can it can move through a city, so um, it's constantly it's constantly changing in its environment, um, and it's constantly changing for the environment for people to witness it in. So it, it, it breaks it breaks a number of um, boundary lines. Mud Skipper is a um, is an amalgamation of all of the research and evolution within my practice. It was extremely important to make at this point in my in my time um, in, in in the way that I'm establishing myself as an artist. The main question that came from it was why does he want to make that? The sculpture itself um, is a uh, 30 foot uh, 15 ton work boat with a set of jacks which allows it to walk up the banks of the river when the tide is down on the Thames. My imagination was taking me on these wondrous journeys and uh, collaborations with other artists and working out a vehicle that I could take artists on uh, um, expeditions um, to um, for, for, for the evolution of their own work and their own research and practices. So, so the quote was, why does he want to make that? Now, there's a, there's a, there's a quote from a person in history who was asked, um, uh, why do you want to climb Mount Everest? That's, that's Mallory. Um, and his answer was, because it's there. And there are certain things which are so big for us in, our, in, in, in the evolution and development of what we do. Um, the only answer at the time was, because it's my next sculpture. You know, and it's part of um, many a works which have all combined in effort to get to that place. I mean, artists take great, you know, sacrifice um, when believing in something um, that needs to be a reality. Yeah. Um, but essentially, it's the most rewarding thing to get a dream into reality and it has a feeling like no other so you know mud skipper is that dream determination can often be confused as ego determination is jfk's speech which is we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things not because they are easy but because they are hard that's determination. I remember going to see it when it was more done and there being this like family of Chinese tourists and they were like photographing it like crazy. Do you remember that? And we went to the pub after and they were like telling you that you were going to be like, they were like, this is the only thing that exists in the world like this. And they were like thinking you were a genius. Oh, that's what I was going to say. How do you feel about being, um, uh, being thought of as the modern day Leonardo da Vinci because I have I have described you in that way in the past because you know he, he used to make all these crazy like dream up all these crazy like flying contraptions and now that's like what we use to make you know airplanes um, and he was very like ahead of his time and almost I see him as this kind of like sort of like psychic kind of character like he was kind of spiritually dreaming up all these inventions before it was even possible and so I was kind of wondering if there is some kind of other side to James Kappa that maybe the average art person might not know about that is a more sort of spiritual side to this person maybe that's the inside scoop I mean I do know you quite well and I feel like there is some kind of like well, I think you're the modern day Leonardo da Vinci, but also like, I think that he was quite spiritual and I know that you are secretly, there is some kind of like spiritual aspect to these things. So what do you think about that? 
I mean, you know, lots of people would say, oh, the modern day Leonardo da Vinci is Elon Musk with quotes like, I would like to die on Mars, just not with, just not with the impact. He's someone that's openly trying to prove um, that, uh, you know, going into space is quite reachable. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I think, I think there are far greater um, engineers, uh, dreamers, you know. My job as an artist in, in, in the place where I report from is um, this place of, of, of technology and engineering and, and, um, and, and, and what, what, else, what else can it do, which is like a very, it's a, it's a question that engineers ask, you know, once they've made something, what else can that thing do? artists or sculptors engineers are great dreamers anyway but um are susceptible to taking compromise so artists of all kinds um uh, have to uh, through the history of civilization um have to hold on to their integrity and their resistance and that is definitely something that you know leonardo da vinci uh, did but it's something that is quite clear um in a character like i know elon musk has a very shady kind of um existence i mean he has those uh, quarrels he had on uh, social media with the children trying to be saved from a cave and, oh, yeah. and um and it was all very messy but i mean you know he's he has this eccentric kind of hollywood-esque style to him that's launching cars into space you know how do you feel about i think that's something we both have in common that we're both seen as like eccentric like how do you think of being seen as a sort of eccentric artist well i mean i i don't know i think anyone these days um who is seen to be holding on to their integrity or giving populism resistance um, is considered outside of the flock and eccentric, like you say. And I think that that's not so great, you know, not so great in, 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 in art where we have um, uh, barrierless barriers and, and no rules. Um, there's a little base camp of people that are, are creating a, a, a little clique for themselves and a, and, a, and a guidebook and all sorts of things going on there, which, you know, I can't, I can't, well, the two of us work in very different ways. It's not that I have worked with them. I have, I've done many a shows and many exhibitions. I have nothing wrong with that way of working, but I run my, my, my studio, I have two and a half thousand square foot, um, all of the welding equipment I need to, to, to make all of the sculptures I need to make. And I, I see that as independence, you know. Now let's get I'm walking in, the, <laughs> walking in hoose, horse hoofs. <laughs> let's get personal. Are you the perfect pandemic partner, being that you have a humongous workshop, welding facilities, uh, big kind of Land Rover style van? Well, we're both quite desirable. You have a very large house in Dalston, don't you? <laughs> no, but are you not the ultimate pandemic partner with your gas canisters and your like boats that can walk I out do, of the I water? I do have a size W bottle of oxygen what in case fuck? I do contract. Do you? Actually have that. Do you have oxygen? Very large, two very large oxygen bottles. But do you have the mask? I don't know, but I mean, one could make a mask. Could you? Yeah, from components that one could buy online. Okay, this is good to know. You should start maybe like looking into that. I mean, it's it's interesting because there's been a complete sort of stampede of engineers and um, yeah. and and all sorts of inventors and um, in the in the, in the in the garage builders and yeah. Colin Furs sort of, sort of characters in society who are all jumping on the bandwagon to try and... But that's good. And it's very exciting. I, t I was sending anyone I know with a 3D that. printer the, the link to someone who's 3D printing, got a, like a pattern to 3D print the things they need for ventilators. And I think anyone who has access to certain things should be doing that. Like I'm going to be sewing face masks with my sewing machine for friends or anyone who needs it. It's like... Why not, right? Yeah. As I'm... artists, we should... I mean, how useful are our artists at this time? Of course, culture is very important. It's important for us to make work, to stop ourselves going crazy. But what is the function of an artwork at this time? Well, I mean, the first 
dangerous thing is asking yourself what the function of an artwork well, you is have as an to artist. Ask yourself that. that you make you hold, make hold this, hold this. you make what you make for your own personal I, that, research. I don't agree with that. And and the evolution of what you make is is eventually what what stands by you as as the iconography of your sculpture. Mm. I don't know about that one. Well, you have to be committed to understand. You have to be committed to understand that one. You know? I am committed. What are you trying to say? <laughs> How but, but dare I, you, macho male sculptor, telling the female sculptor they aren't dedicated enough? This is an outrage. And my ex-boyfriend, may I add, absolutely outrageous sexism life on air. <laughs> You'll always have that to um, to bring a great idea down. You know? Use uh, human biology as ammunition. She's a rich bitch, you know. She was raised by maids. My parents paid for this island in two of my worst movies. People say she's the brains behind James's. Throughout this time of isolation and coronavirus, you have definitely rescued me on many occasions emotionally. Uh, you're always rescuing me from heartbreak. And that's why we will always be best friends. But I, I mean, yes, I have to point out that whenever you call me a feminist artist and I call you a macho male artist, that is said with like a lot of, um, what's the word? Sarcasm, but not really sarcasm. Cynicism. I'm trying to sort of uh, open your mind is this what to, we were talking about? to an expedition. Oh my God, you're so patronizing. I want to go to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, well, but I'm I mean, too forward thinking for you. If, if, if for instance, <laughs> All you need to theories of the, the great sort of lunar, um, Conspiracy. Lunar the, conspiracies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that happen in landing. Arizona. Yeah. That feature in the James Bond yeah. film. Maybe we find that place. Oh my God, that is ideal. I do think we should do something because obviously you are an inspiration in my lunar water exhibition. And so... Inspiration. I managed to source you 10 tons of earth, darling. Yes. And also design a couple of sculptures. Oh my God, fuck off. You didn't design the sculpture. The oh, the flags. Fine, whatever. Flagpole, yeah. Absolutely. The outrageous. other sculptures were all mine. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, it would make sense for us to to do something like that. Well, it was designed like in collaboration. I'm not. Yeah, no, let's not. Yeah, that. you are coming across as quite the male macho prick in this, by the way. Um, <laughs> I think it would be Unload nice. The feminism I, on me. I really you know, want. I can take it. <laughs> I really want to design. Well, there are two big, large, huge-scale installations I would like to do. One is the crop circle, but I want to do this in an indoor environment where I have a lot of crop, like wheat, that I've dyed, like pink or lavender, like I've done in the past, and then it's all inside a room, and then within it I make a crop circle of, like, quite an intricate design, and then I have, like, this kind of platform spinning, and then I have these kind of meteorite sculptures, molten metal sculptures. Yeah. A bull? We're not going in there, Joe. It's just what it would be fun, darling. No, it says beware the bull. I don't want to go oh, in there. Oh, come on, let's see if he's there. Are you fucking crazy? Are we allowed in it's here? Corona. He's probably not here. Are we allowed in this bit? Whenever I hang out with James, I'm always getting into seriously dangerous situations. He's just left me to go and look for a bull. Um, so right. you to explain to everybody the, how, how we met and the bar brawl that you created? We met because, wait, I was pub. trying to talk about my idea, an and innocent, as usual, you don't let me talk about my idea. Bermondsey. No, we'll get into that in a bit. Broken lips no. and blood all over the bar. <laughs> I casually turned up at a pub with Billy Fraser um, to have a pint, and I was met by um, this frantic... <laughs> situation. That is not what happened. Which the latter turned oh into God, a, a brawl. A, you are such a liar. You said, oh, I want to go out for a cigarette. You've yeah. got cigarettes. Yeah. Classic. You made a cigarette. You sat down with a bunch of Bermondsey's finest and started an absolute bar brawl, not realising that they were in a wake. No, but how did I create a bar brawl? They loved me. Well, I mean, they certainly didn't like the guy who said you look like the ugly sister and got hit round the but that's face twice they loved me. and at the point of hitting him round the face 
nearly knocked out a woman with his sovereign ring, yeah, but that's, cutting her lip up. But that's because they really liked me and they didn't like the fact that that guy was dissing me. It wasn't like I started a brawl. Um, and that's where we had a little sit-down conversation, which you probably remember better than I do. Well, you just said you loved me, that's all. Well, I don't know why this is getting so personal. Anyway, because you asked. <laughs> you brought it And look up. at us now. We're two saddos. Why are we in the, in the middle of a wood full of bluebells. Why are we saddos? And I'm trying to cheer you up because you were crying, bawling your eyes out on a phone yesterday. <laughs> but why are we saddos? We're not. We're two artists having a conversation. You hold the phone, Saddo. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why are we Saddos? This is great. Oh, it's very muddy here. No, it's fine. Go on. Well, you go first. I've seen these jellies in... Oh, yeah. Life. Tell that story. That's good. Oh, what? When I went to collect yeah, you phone, ten, ten tons of earth. Yeah, go on, go on. And I forget what you said on the radio. Oh, I managed to source 10 tonnes of earth. <laughs> you know, so radio correcting things. I'll expect an apology at the end of the programme. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, I said, don't get out the Land Rover. That is slurry. And you were like, what the fuck is slurry? <laughs> and you found out quite soon, not wearing Wellingtons up to your shins and knees in... <laughs> What can only be described as the film of sewerage. <laughs> the guy with the skip lorry yard thought you were an absolute psychopath. He loved me. <laughs> and when you found out that his father had died, you started putting on spiritual healing yeah. uh, on his computer in his office. And he sat there drinking a bottle of Smirnoff from the bottle, going, I think I can work with this. <laughs> And in all fairness, I was wondering how much he'd ask for selling us this earth. And he said, you can have it for free. <laughs> Just take it all. <laughs> Get out of my office. He loved me. <laughs> he did like me, didn't he, though? He did like me. Some of the journeys that we've already had. There's a pub um, that the locals um, in the area around the shipyard where I was, the boat, the marina where I was working on Mudskipper, called the whale and handbag because a lot of the the sailors used to go there back in the days and the sailors and the dockers would meet there and there was like a lot of crazy stories from that pub you know um and um there's a notorious character that sits at the bar um he goes on the pseudonym of ned kelly after the australian um armed robber um, who wear a metal plate i've never asked him why he's adopted that pseudonym Within 10 minutes, I watched you do what you're doing now, excavate everything out of this guy who thoroughly enjoyed your questions, thoroughly enjoyed this. And I, I had never, to that point, seen this spirit in you, this, this capacity to create um, this really exciting, uh, boundaryless conversation. And this character completely, you know, uh, fulfilling your your um, your questions, uh, real geezer. I played the recording on my on a past radio episode, and I'll find the snippet and I'll play it in this radio episode. Your most beautiful story. When I was twenty-one, I met my wife. She a fight. Yeah. I told you. Yeah. No, no. She, she have a chair up. And that's how we met. She could, two years up, and I went, oh, you're doing me. You'll be my, my backup. I went, she could fight, my wife. What was her style? One, a right hand, then a left hand. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> All right. Good wow. Now. Was she glamorous while she did it? What's the mean? Yeah. And you think so? How did she look? Tell me how she looked the first time you met her. In the sixties, with a beehive. Nice. Yes. Right. Like, like Kathy Kirby and. Okay. And you think? Oh, what? Eyes in in the beholder, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Um, yes. Uh, uh, she stood out. 
Yeah. Touch me once. <laughs> no. <laughs> was it love at first sight? Oh yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh. Did she ever come to your aid in a fight again after that night? Like. Yes. Really? Yes. Was she actually your backup then? Yes. Really? She was. Wow. She a fight. Wow. Every time I went round somewhere, we would be round it. Gotcha. Power couple. Yes. Well, not, not to me. I can't, I can't fight. Oh, okay. You're the brains. Yeah. Cheap to fight. Physically fight. Punch everyone. Everyone. <laughs> I found out that he had actually bargled, uh, probably in my house when I was a child, because he was the he was one of the like best cat burglars in London had hit up this area of London where we lived and we kept getting burgled when I was a child so I was terrified of him when I was a child I told him that and he thought that was quite sweet and so he bought me lots of drinks to make up for um taking all the family heirlooms which I thought was a fair enough trade I like the guy I did ask him if he'd ever killed anyone and he said yes but apparently they were in the trade and they deserved it you were, I think, dying the whole time because I was asking such uh, intense questions to this, like, very notorious, basically, what would we say, gangster? Yeah, uh, I mean, you were, you, were, you, were, you were out of your depth, but um, your, performance, your performance was phenomenal. And um, that's what saved, saved, saved the day. But doesn't he ask after me every time you see him? He loves me. He he does remember me for for that um, for that moment. Mm. Yeah. So that was one of the encounters. I said during our walk that whenever you and I hang out, we get into serious danger, and I think it's a sign from the universe. So there was that time with the bank robber. There was another time where I started the brawl, apparently, but it really wasn't my fault. Mm, there was another time where I nearly drowned in slurry. You mentioned that during my um, sourcing of earth for lunar water. Um, any the other boat, boat boat trip? Oh my god! Tell the boat trip story. That's great. So the boat, you... was, the boat was far too small for the tidal. Well, oh, you 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 realised that you liked me romantically, declared your love for me before we'd even kissed, and sort of like were hell-bent on making me your girlfriend when we were like clearly best friends and um I wasn't really having it to begin with but you <laughs> you were persistent and I said that I wanted to escape because I was heartbroken and you like to create these mad adventures slash contraptions and you were doing up some boat which they basically was nicknamed the sieve because it had so many holes in it and I said, well, it'll be a good test of our bond, you know, hopefully our bond will be as solid as your welding, because you can do watertight welds, James, very good at welding. And so I said, you have to weld that boat up and see if it... Yeah, you, you, you're also a good welder, right, on uh, tungsten and uh, gas welding? I'm all right, yeah. Um, I mean, you usually clean up the welds for me, let's be real. <laughs> You give it a little bit of magic once I've done some welding, but whatever. Yeah, I can weld, all right. Um, but so you, the whole deal was that you were going to do up this boat and it would be like a symbol of your love. But in the end, you didn't actually do that boat. You uh, had another boat and just decided to take that out instead. But we went on this adventure. So tell the story of our semi-illegal boating adventure then. Well, I, there's, nothing, there's nothing illegal whatsoever about it. It shouldn't um, have been in the Thames, should it? No, uh, every, every every Englishman is entitled to a boat. It's one of the oldest laws in in the basement, in the cellar of Houses of Parliament. Well, we could have died. A huge wave came next well, to us. Well, I, 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 I had a wave. We had a wave of admiration from a party boat that was making quite some wash. Yeah. Um, about two metres of swell on like a, a two and a half metre... Uh, Dutch uh, built rowing uh, dinghy with a with a four horsepower Mariner outboard engine on the back of it. I was an and a, good. Uh, uh, a, a, a girl thoroughly enjoying herself uh, on the on the bow, 
with a uh, with a jug, not a glass, but a jug of gin and tonic uh, that had been mixed up for her by uh, by uh, Rob, the the head bartender of the Greenwich Yacht Club, um, on on our way to the Cutty Sark, and um, I saw I looked over the back of this boat, of which I was sitting on the waterline, um, and and just went down this. Yeah. Uh, this substantially steep piece of swell, which I think if we, if we were to have a measuring stick on it, it was at least a meter and a half to two meters, and um, and and came up the other side, and um, I was quite quite impressed with with the vessel myself, adventure, and 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 the fact and the fact that you were you were very you were very calm. Yeah, because I grew up in Bermuda, I, I, you know, I could swim before I could walk, probably. I, I mean, that's not accurate, but, you know, I love boats. Anyway, um, but I've always had quite a good sense of adventure with you, haven't I? But we do always, yeah, we do have these adventures. And so let's, so this, like, is too, uh, I don't know where to go next, because I want to talk about boats and Mudskipper. I want to talk about Werner Herzog and Fitzcarraldo. I want to talk about the idea of, the Odyssey and the hero archetype and Odysseus. I want to talk about narcissism. We've kind of done public and private, but I want to get much more into that and male-female stereotypes. But first of all, let's talk about the famous five. Um, because I was saying that I'm very into signs and I kind of, because I've never really been sure about, you know, I really think we have such a strong friendship that it would be a shame to ruin it with romance. Um, but when you were trying to woo me in the beginning, I was like, well, we'll let the universe decide because I'm really into signs. And there's this like crazy place in Peckham where this person has their house and they have all these like books outside their house and you can like leave notes and you can take books. And I, I always go there with you. You drive me there and I'm like, I'm going to go and look for a sign. And I like pull out a random book or something. Right. And just before this boat trip, we went there and I pulled and she had and I have it with me now. The famous five book by Enid Blyton, and I was like, "Oh, let's take that." What well, what one is it? It's uh, it's, it's the island. Five on a treasure island, and I yeah, that's oh, one of my favourites as well. And uh, yeah, exactly, that's what you said, and it's also like one of my favourites. And I flicked it open, and we found a page, and it was all about going on a boat trip. So I was like, "Oh, this is a sign. So this is quite a significant book to us." I thought I'd flick it open again today. Wait, let me flick through. Let's see if we land on something fun. The stone moved. The children distinctly felt it stir. All together again, cried Julian. And all together they pulled. The stone stirred again and then suddenly gave way. It moved upwards and the children fell on top of one another, like a row of dominoes suddenly pushed down. Now that is a great link to Fitzcarraldo. You actually, just before we did this, you told me that, that I needed to watch Burden of Dreams, which is the documentary about making Fitzcarraldo. It's all about them taking this thing up the side of this cliff. So I'm just going to play it now. Did the territory hold any surprises for you that you didn't know about from your pre-planning? Yes, of course. <laughs> bad surprises. For example, that the terrain is not firm, where we wanted to have our path for the boat. It's just completely muddy and wet, so we had to cut another path. And that brought us problems, because we had to cut deep into the mountain, and it's very, very, very tough, and there were landslides. Recently, since more than a quarter of a century, there hasn't been so much rain now. And that has brought us bad surprises. But basically, it is what I have been looking for. Today, it went well, but I don't know. I hate it today. I don't know why. I have no reason to hate it, but I, I didn't like that mud up there. Sometimes I wish to sit in an easy chair and with a cup of tea next to me. Is that the right bit? It's the fact that it was, was designed for a 20 degrees in, incline and Herzog demanded that it be a 40 degree incline for yeah. cinematography and that made it incredibly difficult um, to do. 
The Making of Fitzcarrado, which um, is a film that's made by Les Blank. He's a friend of Werner um, Herzog. It was made at the same t- at the same time, obviously, um, 1982. Um, is a documentary, which is a fantastic film. So if anyone watches um, Fitzcarrado, they must watch um, Burden of Dreams in close proximity to to seeing Fitzcarrado because it is a phenomenal film. The film. Um, has more of a relationship with Mud Skipper than any other film or filmic thing that I've sort of really tied my work to. Like I always said that as soon well, as I, I mean we said it we said it about Fitzcarraldo, but I think Burden of Dreams is like it the, the making of you can kind of see the nuts and bolts you can see the you can see where where people cave in. Um, the pressure of putting a dream into reality is a great sacrifice. It is it's a very difficult thing to do. People yeah. give up on things like this. Yeah. He he says in the film, I won't give up on I won't give up on making this film a reality. And he's very serious about it. I have a card here that you sent me, which has a drawing of yours. It isn't signed, unfortunately, otherwise it would be worth quite a lot of money. You never sign your, your drawings that you send me, James. It's just really unfair. Anyway. Um, you shouldn't have to sign your drawings. They should stay your iconography. But you do sign things when you sell them to collectors. Now, this has an image of a plane drawn on it taking off because when we were first together, you used this analogy of like a plane taking off and that you, you kind of saw yourself in this role of rescuing me from the ice fields in your plane and you sort of threatened that the plane was going to take off at any minute. May I just add, all planes are currently grounded due to coronavirus and you have rescued me on many occasions, recently emotionally rescuing me during coronavirus. But you're in love with a fucking iceberg. Well, why don't you read the whole thing and then you're not isolating it? Because it's very, impo- it's very personal. Once you take it out of context, do I have permission? It doesn't make sense. Do I have permission to read it? Wait, maybe it's not this one. Maybe it's the letter you sent me. No, this is too personal, James. But anyway, maybe it was the other letter. But anyway, there's just this idea of you always rescuing me. You like this idea of rescuing me, don't you? And um, there's something here about that in terms of the, this archetype. The hero is often out to rescue the maiden. She represents purity, innocence, and in all likelihood, naivety. In the beginning of the Star Wars story, Princess Leia is the maiden. But as the story progresses, she becomes the anima, um, discovering the power of the force, the collective unconscious, and becoming an equal partner with Luke, who turns out to be her brother. So I just thought there was something there that reminds me of us. I have often tried to bolster things for you so that you don't feel as uncomfortable as one would feel in the isolation that it is to be an artist your your quality that I think I like most about you is that whenever I feel like I want to give up or like I'm not good enough which I have these moments but I always come out of them anyway and I'm quite a fighter myself um, and I have a lot of self-belief but you are someone who is very good at not only believing in yourself, but bringing others back into like belief in themselves and like also kind of encouraging anyone's sort of craziest dream and telling them to do something even more crazy and extreme and like reaching for bigger heights. So I think that's your kind of your, um, your biggest sort of, attractive quality as a person is that you can kind of make everyone around you feel like they can do anything. Let me talk about Fitzcarraldo, film made in 19, 1982. It's made by an amazing film director called Werner Herzog. Um, the film cost uh, 14 million Deutsch marks when it happened. It was grossly over budget. Um, so the film itself is, a, is about an opera-loving uh, Brian Fitzgerald, uh, uh, who is played by Klaus Kinski. He lives, he lives in a small Peruvian city, um, better known as uh, Fitzcarraldo. He's obsessed with building an opera house in his city, in this small town. <laughs> See how fast our money runs downstream? You must have had the same experience. A railway is sure to swallow up a lot of money. <laughs> 
<laughs> thrilling it must be to go bankrupt. <laughs> Let's go back to our friends. Yes, such a chance to meet all one's friends and rivals at the same place does not present itself very often. <laughs> um, and he decides to, to make his dream a reality, seeing we are talking about dreams. Um, he, he needs to make uh, a lot of money um, as a rubber baron, as a, uh, in the rubber trade. So, um, so in order to become um, this successful rubber baron, um, Fitzcarraldo uh, hatches a, 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 a very elaborate plan uh, that calls for a, a, a particularly impressive feat in bringing a massive boat over a mountain um, with the help of a local native tribe on the river, um, because the only way he can access this um, this uh, rubber plantation which he buys is by getting out of one river and into the other because the rivers fork away. Um, now, that's what the, that's what Fitzcarraldo is about. <laughs> Do you see any similarities in, in this, um, in it and yourself? I understand engineering. I, I, I like movement. I often like um, the movement of quite large objects in a graceful manner. And so there are a few methods to make linear movement of such a type. My work basically is about the four E's, which is environment, expedition, exploration and evolution. And so those four components come in, they triangulate around what I do and, and they allow the work to evolve naturally into, into the world. Um, sometimes, if not many a times, with the collaboration of another artist or a group of artists, the, the, work, the work as well isn't sort of sculpture as sculpture as we see it. It's sculpture that breathes life into it, it moves and it has its own lifespan in its own cases. Paint starts very clean and shiny, and by the end of the project, there's barely any on it, you know, because it's transversed across these terrains. So those scars are important, and often where things have broken or been retrofitted, that's all part of these um, objects as an experience for the, for the viewer to see. I really feel like there is something to do with this archetype of the hero and the heroic in your work it's monumental it's like on a quest there is something to do with that going on for sure like the kind of hero archetype which i think you know the hero archetype is kind of representing the ego and often we identify with the hero in the story and he's often engaged with sort of like fighting the shadow obviously odysseus is the the archetypal hero um and i think it just relates to what to your work and somehow in fitzcarraldo and the life aquatic and all of these things so it says yay and if some god shall wreck me in the wine dark deep even so i will endure for already have i suffered full much and much have i toiled in perils of waves and war let this be added to the tale of those You've been listening to The Silver Stream on Soho Radio.